0: Whenever we're together as a body, we take time to open up God's word and hear him speak to us. This was the practice of the early church, as you read in Acts chapter 2. If you go there, you will see even from the earliest days that the, the body would gather and the leaders would teach and exhort the people and explain the scriptures. From the earliest days and that tradition and practice has continued right down to this very day. So we're going to do that. We're going to open up the word of God. We're going to look again at the book of Ezekiel. We're going to be in chapter 33 this morning. And uh, we've been going through Ezekiel for a number of weeks. We've paused here and there. Um, We're going to see our way through the book and get there before you know it. Right to the end. Ezekiel 33. Megan's going to be reading for us this morning. Thanks, sweetie.
1: Morning. morning. Here we go. The long text. We're diving in. Let's go. All right. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land, take a man from among them and make him their watchman. And if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard he heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, himself. Sorry, I feel like I'm not reading this right. But All right, sorry. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that the person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, And he does not turn from his way. That person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus have you said, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back turn back from your evil ways for why will you die o house of israel And you son of man say to your people the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses, transgresses And as for the wickedness of the wicked He shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness And the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live Yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered. But in his injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. Yet if he turns from his sin and does what is just and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has taken by robbery, and walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is just and right, he shall surely live. Yet your people say, the way of the Lord is not just, when it is their own way that is not just. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by this. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been struck down. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon upon me the evening before the fugitive came, and he had opened my mouth by the time the man came to me in the morning. So my mouth was opened, and I was no longer mute. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, the inhabitants of these waste places in the land of Israel keep saying, Abraham was only one man, yet he got possession of the land. But we are many. The land is surely given us to possess. Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord your God, you eat flesh with the blood and lift up your eyes to your idols and shed blood. Shall you then possess the land? You rely on the sword. You commit abominations. And each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Shall you then possess the land? Say this to them. Thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the waste places shall fall by the sword. And whoever is in the open field, I will give to the beast to be devoured. And those who are in strongholds and in caves shall die by pestilence. And I will make the land a desolation and a waste. And her proud might shall come to an end. And the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that none will pass through. Then they will know that I am the Lord, when I have made the land a desolation, and a waste because of all their abominations what they have commit, that they have committed. As for you, Son of Man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, say to one another, each to his brother, Come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes, and come it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.
0: Well done, sweetie. Good job. That's not easy. Looks easy, but it's not. She makes it look easy. Well, on July 13th, 1813... Adoniram and Ann Judson arrived in Rangoon, Burma as missionaries. They were some of the first American missionaries sent out to reach the nations. When they arrived in 1813, uh, Burma, which is in the southeastern Asia region, was a hostile and utterly unreached place. Just a few months earlier, after a visit in India with William Carey. William Carey is considered by many to be the father of kind of a modern day uh, missionary movement. They got some time with him just before um, they went to Burma. Just a few months earlier than their arrival in Burma, he had uh, advised the Judsons not to go to Burma. One writer says that today it would probably be considered a closed country, completely hostile to the gospel. Every missionary that had gone prior had either died or left. Burma was a tough place. Well, the trials that Judson faced are almost unbelievable. I want to commend to you a book. Um, I do that a lot. You guys are like, oh, we're tired of your books, Pastor. Come on. Um, This is a bit of a monster, but if you could uh, read anything on Adoniram and Ann Judson, good, good, rich stuff. So I've got a copy if you're interested in looking at that. But the trials that they faced in Burma are almost unbelievable. Burma was one of the hottest places on earth. Uh, They battled constantly with diseases like uh, cholera, malaria, dysentery, and others. While he was there, he would lose two wives, seven of their 13 children, and numerous colleagues who voyaged over to assist in the work. Can you imagine? Getting relief. Finally, someone shows up to help with the work. And a year later, they die. Two years later, they die. This happened over and over and over again to the Judsons. It was six years before they baptized their first convert. Many were interested in the gospel, but fear of persecution was very intense in those days in Burma. At one point, just to give you a little sample of some of what the Judsons faced, Judson was in prison for months on end at one point, for being a suspected spy while his wife, Anne was pregnant. She gave birth while he was in prison to a daughter named Maria. Well, at the time, Anne was very sick. This is a theme. They get sick over and over and over again. She was very sick and thin, and eventually her milk dried up so that she couldn't feed little Maria. She would bring the baby to the jail in the evenings, And a merciful jailer would let Adoniram out so that he could walk into the village with the baby with fetters on and beg for women to nurse his little girl in the community. Eventually, he was released from uh, prison, but within a year and a half, both Anne and little Maria would die. Anyway, that's just a snapshot of some of the challenges and many trials that Judson and his family would go through to bring the gospel to Burma. At one point, he finally broke under all the pain and loss and began to wonder if he had come to Burma for the wrong reasons. Maybe I came, you know, for sinful reasons, God. He begins to wonder. Maybe I'm here for my own glory or my own ministry or name. He began to break under the intense pain. No doubt, he pondered just giving up entirely. This is too, too hard. Someone else can do the work better than me. But he never did. Judson labored on for 40 years in Burma. Today, Burma is known as Myanmar, Myanmar, and is home to nearly 4,000 Baptist congregations and over 600,000 members who all trace their roots back to the American Baptist missionary Adoniram Judson. But what if Adoniram would have given up? What if those years without converts would have discouraged him to the point where he would have just completely thrown in the towel? No doubt God in his goodness and mercy would have raised up someone else to do the work, but Adoniram would not have gotten to be a part of it. In the pain, he would have missed out on the coming future blessings, right? Just beyond the pain and difficulties. But his life touched hundreds of thousands of people for Jesus, and he got to see some of it in his lifetime. But much of it expanded beyond his days here on earth. He was a part of something that was bigger than his lifetime. He was building something that would take longer than the life he had to give to build. And it is still being built today. And the work that you and I are doing here at Red Door Church is similar Someone came before us and started the work. Some of those folks are here in the room. And some will come after us who will bring it to completion by the grace of God, right? There are people before us, people after us. We're in a long, multi-generational stream of labor for the kingdom of God. But what that means is that one of the greatest temptations in the Christian life is to just give up and to stop building. To stop working you know when i was in construction one of the most exciting aspects of my work was being able to see the fruit of my labor you show up on the job site some of you guys know all about this you contractors out there you show up on the job site you work for eight or ten or twelve or fourteen hours and you turn around and you can see there's what i did right i can see it i can touch it the christian life is not like that Not only are we laboring to build a city that's not seen with the eyes, but we're building something that will take millennia to complete. And sometimes every single little stone and joint can seem to take so much effort and energy. Well, Ezekiel would have known that struggle. Ezekiel understood what I'm describing here very well. He was a man given a seemingly impossible task, much like the Judson's. God gave them a very hard assignment. And it took decades, and it's still in process even now. Ezekiel's task to preach judgment to a people who did not want to hear it, to call them to repentance and back to God, and they did not want it. For seven and a half years or so, he preached an unrelenting message of severe judgment, having to endure a great deal of trouble in the meantime, including losing the delight of his eyes, his wife, and suffering many other challenges. Yet Ezekiel does not give up. He presses on in his work, and finally, as we will see, after years of struggle, he's going to see some fruit. And in today's chapter, we start getting a glimpse that, that there's a turning, okay? We're going to see that, I hope. And there's a change, anyways, in what's happening. So the big idea is this. The big idea that I want to try and get across is this. Because the kingdom of God is being built across many generations, we must endure if we are to pass it to the next. For to pass the faith... To the next, we must endure, we must persevere, we must keep going, keep building, keep working. This is a multi generational project. When you begin walking with Jesus, one of the primary tactics of our enemy is to simply try to get us to give up. Our Lord Jesus spoke about this in the parable of the sower. I'm not going to read that parable, it's a really wonderful. Teaching of our Lord, but go and read Matthew 13. When you get some time, maybe write that down. Matthew 13, or write Parable of the Sower, where Jesus talks about this. Go home and read. Sometimes the devil just wants to throw stuff at us to get us to give up. But Ezekiel, here, after all the things that have happened, doesn't give up. He presses on in the work that the Lord has given him to do. And finally, here in chapter 33, he's going to begin seeing some fruit this chapter is the turning point of the book. All the way up to this point, Ezekiel has been telling the people that Jerusalem is going to fall. That's been the theme of the entire book. Judgment's coming. This is what's going to look like. Jerusalem's going to fall. Now here in verse 21 of our chapter today, we read these words. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been struck down. A fugitive, perhaps a person from among the new lot of exiles coming from the siege of Jerusalem. Babylon would have taken more people out in their siege. Perhaps this is someone in that lot. We don't know the details, but this person makes their way to Babylon and declares to Ezekiel that Jerusalem has been struck down. No longer is it mere prediction. It has been destroyed. It has happened. It is a a reality now. This news would have no doubt also been reported to the community through, through Ezekiel and through the fugitive and perhaps through others arriving in Babylon. One scholar writes, quote, one can imagine the shocks, the shock waves that must have reverberated throughout the Jewish community. For them, two words in Hebrew, it's. Four in the English, but two in Hebrew said it all. The city is smitten. The city is destroyed. This word would have corroborated everything that Ezekiel had been saying for the previous seven plus years. You can only imagine the complete relief that Ezekiel would have felt. Not only is Ezekiel proven to be a true prophet in this moment when someone shows up and says, yeah, what he's been saying Has happened, but it is here that his ministry will actually become more positive, as we will see from the remainder of the book. Some of you are like, thank God, right? (laughs) Things are going to take a turn in his ministry, too. So very fascinating how often God has appointed trials and hardships for us to walk through before fruit comes. Not always, but in many cases. We see this in particular in the life of Adoniram Judson. And we see it here in the ministry of the prophet Ezekiel. So what this means is that we must endure when difficulty comes. We must hold fast to Christ and let him hold fast to us. Hmm. Before I roll out the few points about endurance that I've got this morning, that's kind of what I'm feeling moved to focus on in this passage, endurance. Before I get into all that, let me say at the outset that there's a kind of, of, of cycle or or pattern. Catch-22 doesn't quite uh, capture what I'm wanting to say. But, but in this thing called endurance, in this struggle, there's kind of a pattern or a cycle. And for the Christian, Jesus Christ is both the one who causes the need for endurance... And the one who gives us hope in the midst of it. Put another way, it's our message about Jesus. Our living for Jesus. Our convictions about God's creation in the world and who He is and what He's done. That is often the very thing that brings challenges our way. When you speak of Christ, when you say something, when you live a certain way, challenges may come. This is why every day we see people who once followed Jesus, stop following Jesus, because it's hard, right? It's difficult. It's a hard, narrow road. I want you to write down a few verses very quickly and then go home and check them out. If you've got a pen, Matthew 10:16. Romans 8:36. Matthew 10: 24 and 25. 2 Timothy 3.12 Matthew 10.16 Romans 8.36 Matthew 10.24 and 25 2 Timothy 3.12 These verses are going to talk about how following Jesus often brings hardship. right? brings difficulties. Trials. Yet, this is where we get into that cycle. That sort of weird Call it a catch-22, whatever word you want to use, cycle. Yet it's also this very same Jesus, this Christ, who gives us the will and the hope in the midst of suffering. He's the one who strengthens us, helps us, us, gives us hope in the midst of it. So listen carefully. I'm going to have Felicia pull up a... Go ahead and pull that slide up. What this means is that it is often those who suffer for Jesus who are also truly hoping in Him. And the reverse is also true. Those who are not willing to suffer, those who don't suffer, those who don't step out there, those who don't put themselves in that path and in that way are not truly hoping in Him. The two go together in some ways. I know it's more complicated and nuanced than that, but that's just generally true. I put together a little chart that captures what I'm trying to say here. And... uh, say my kids got a hold of my little laser pointer so I think it's in your bulletin there and uh, and I've got it here and up here so here's what I'm trying to say okay you go out and you you live your life for Jesus right that's what we all hope I hope we all want to do and strive to do well then what that results in is oftentimes trials and persecution come as a result some difficulty some challenge some opposition right Well, then what do we do? Then we go to Jesus and we cling to him for hope and endurance and strength in the midst of that trial or that difficulty. And then just as we prayed a few moments ago, right out of Hebrews, he's happy to give us his grace and to help us and strengthen us and meet us in our time of need. Right. So we find that refreshment, that hope, that strength, that endurance. Sometimes it takes time, but it comes eventually. And then we go out again and we live for him and we're strengthened and renewed to pour ourselves out. And then trials come. And you see, how, see where I'm going here? It's a cycle, okay? So Jesus is both in some ways the cause um, of our need for endurance but also the one who supplies the endurance as well. <clears throat> so now let's turn to our text. Those things being said... Let's turn to our text today and talk a little bit about endurance. Remember the big idea. Because the kingdom of God is being built across many generations, we must endure it if we're to pass it on to, to the next. <clears throat> and our first point is we must endure in speaking the truth if we are to pass it on to the next. We've passed the faith on to the next generation. We must endure in speaking the truth. One of the things that uh, we see about the kingdom of God is that it is a kingdom of truth. It is the truth, and one of the ways that the work of the kingdom goes forward is through the speaking and articulation of the truth. Okay, talking it, speaking it, right? And this and this has many facets, and there's a whole host of layers and and uh, different uh, aspects to this. Again, I'm speaking ooh, I'm speaking in very broad terms here. But in an evil world, the truth can get you into big trouble. The truth can get you into trouble. Nonetheless, we must endure in speaking it and sharing it and living it out. Notice God's charge to Ezekiel in the first section of our passage today, verses 1 through 9. I'm not going to read that whole chunk again. We've already read it. We'll only read verses seven through nine for now. So you, son of man, I've made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. In other words, when I speak the truth to you, Ezekiel, when I give you a word, you are to speak it to the people. If I say to the wicked, "O wicked one, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. In other words, if you have the truth, we need to speak it, right? Or we're culpable. We've withheld something needed, something necessary to a person's flourishing and to their life. And this, and again, I know it's, there's more nuance to that and more to say about that. But for the sake of time, I'm going to just leave it there. In this section, in this particular section, Ezekiel is called a watchman once again. Now back in chapter 3, he was declared a watchman as he began his ministry of speaking God's truth to his people. If you were to go back to chapter 3 and look, you'll see that exact same term used for Ezekiel's ministry. He was to be a watchman, a prophet for God. But Why is God renewing Ezekiel's call to the ministry or to be a watchman here in this passage? Now that Jerusalem, here's a, here's a thought, a suggestion, now that Jerusalem has fallen. It might be assumed that his job was done, right? Well, he's been declaring this one thing for years and years and years. Now it's happened. His job is done. Perhaps this might be the thinking. But what we find here is that even though circumstances have changed and we're at a turning point in the book, Jerusalem has indeed fallen. Ezekiel must still speak the truth to the people. And as we'll see as things go along, that truth is going to be much more hope-filled. And we'll focus on restoration uh, as the book continues to unfold. But here we find God charging Ezekiel once again as he begins this new chapter of his ministry to continue to keep watch over the people of God and speak the truth. And our job as Christians is similar. We are not all watchmen. In the way that Ezekiel was, okay. So there again, there's some nuance here, and there's some room for, uh, for detail and whatnot. But we are all called as believers to speak the truth in love, no matter what our cultural moment is. That's the simple point. Okay, we are all called to speak the truth in love, no matter what our cultural moment is. For God is pleased to use means to accomplish His purpose. Let me give you an example. God could snap his fingers and fill our bellies with sustenance to give us food to eat. He could do that. Right? Boom. Everybody's full. No need to eat. God is God. He could do that. He could just, you know, make food fall out of the sky for everyone as he did for the people of God in the wilderness for those years. He could make manna just appear. Right? He could do that. But he chooses, right, to... Create this process of sowing and reaping, harvesting and us eating. That's a means, right? He uses means to accomplish his ends. And God could just give people understanding. He could, he could do that. And he does that sometimes, right? But he has chosen to use people speaking truth as one of the ways that they would come to understand certain things about him and his plan. This is the thrust of verses 1 through 9. It is only through the words of watchmen, of truth tellers that God will spare some from his wrath and judgment. It's through the sharing of words from God. You and I must endure in speaking the truth, even when it's unpopular and uncomfortable, if we are to pass the faith to the next generation, if we are to see people come into the kingdom. That's point number one. We must endure in that, just as Ezekiel did in his ministry. This leads us to point number two. Speaking the truth is not popular, so it often leads to ridicule. So we must endure in receiving ridicule. If you do number one, number two will follow. You will be mocked. You will be ridiculed. And that's scary. That's not fun. No one likes that. Who likes that? Today, maybe more than ever, we are pressured as Christians to be silent on issues or else face the wrath and ire of what's been called cancel culture. This is a very real thing. But if we love God and love people, we cannot be silent, even if it is costly. Let's look at the next section, verses 10 through 20. We've looked at that first section, now this Next session, section, verses 10 through 20. Again, I'm not going to read the whole section, just verses 17 the 20. Yet your people say the way of the Lord is not just when it is their own way that is not just. When the righteous turns from his unrighteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by this. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel! I will judge each of you according to his ways. Here in this section, the people respond to the truth. So Ezekiel comes again, sharing a message of truth. And they're responding to the truth with a kind of ridicule, saying that God is not just, that he's not consistent in his judgment. Sometimes this will be what? How people respond to us with arguments, with twisting, with spinning. Right. With all sorts of clever ways What we see here, again, is when we speak the truth, it's often rejected with all kinds of clever explanations and justifications and arguments. If we assume here the backdrop is the inevitable fall of Jerusalem, what the people here might be suggesting is this. They might be suggesting if our country and our temple and our religion is essentially to be destroyed and we have nowhere to go to or go home to, how can we live, right? How, how can God invite us to repent and live again? Because that's what's in that, that section right there. He says, turn and live. But how can we do that when we have nothing to live for, basically? This, this is sort of the, I think, this, the essence of the argument that they're, they're making here. A very clever response to the truth, right? A dodge. Okay, so you want us to respond, well, what about this? There are all sorts of problems with this line of thinking, but my main point in mentioning it is to say that when we share truth with folks, most of the time, most of the time, it will be received with some kind of response like this, at least in today's New England American culture. Received with mockery, with ridicule, with questions, with contradictions, with justifications, and all sorts of clever explanations. Rarely will a person simply hear the truth and respond with faith. It's rare. If we are to endure, then one of the things we must have is realistic expectations. We must look at the prophets, look at the apostles, look at Jesus, and ponder what they received for sharing the truth. What did they get for sharing the truth? Yeah, at times people responded and came to faith and there was rejoicing. But also with it, Trials, difficulties, ridicule, hardships, loneliness, broken relationships, all sorts of things. Jesus himself said, if they called the master of the house, Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? In other words, Jesus says, if they treated me with such evil, how much more will they also treat you that way? What do you think they were doing to Ezekiel when he packed a bag and dug holes through his house without using any words? Some of you have been with us for weeks as we've gone through Ezekiel, and these were things he had to do. God told him to do this. Dig a hole through your wall, pack a bag, climb through it, go out, come back. What about when he built stick models of Jerusalem in the street and tore them down and lit them on fire? Or when he had to use feces to cook over? and ate rationed meals for months on end. At one point God called Ezekiel to lay on his side for almost a year. He was probably called all kinds of names. There goes crazy Ezekiel again, doing that wild stuff that no one understands. And because the Lord had asked him not to speak for a season, he wouldn't even be able to defend himself. He couldn't offer an explanation. That would come in time. If the kingdom of God is to be passed on to future generations, then to some degree we must be willing to endure ridicule. That's point number two. We see that in Ezekiel, and we're going to see that today. And this leads us to point number three we must endure failure. If we are to pass on the faith to the next generation, We must endure in failure. Let's look at verses 23 through 33 next. Again, I'm not going to read that section. We'll just look at verses 30 to 32. As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses. okay? so they're talking about Ezekiel. They see him doing his thing and they're talking about him. All right, they say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays, excuse me, well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. How hard do you think it was for prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel to go out to the people time after time and plead with them to repent of their wicked ways only for it to at least on the surface seemingly have no effect How hard as it says in verse 32 at this point Ezekiel has become like basically something along the lines of like a pop culture musician like a popular you know songwriter or artist that folks listen to for a while for fun and games and then move on, and he's totally irrelevant. Or to use a sports analogy, Ezekiel was going out. If you liken his going out and sharing God's word with the people to, you know, if you liken it to an at bat in baseball, Ezekiel was striking out over and over again, at least from the eyes of the everyday person. Ezekiel was a total failure up to this point in his ministry. The people are not listening. Many of them don't even believe him to be a true prophet. And now he's not being taken seriously. He's an entertainer to them. Not a man of God. That hurts. That's painful stuff. Especially when he's lost so much in doing this. That sure looks and smells like failure to me. But I want you to notice something, okay? God continues to speak to Ezekiel. God continues to come to Ezekiel and give him messages for the people to hear. He continues to give them a word. You know, if I'm a coach, again, back to the baseball analogy, and I've got a player who's striking out every single time at the plate, embarrassing himself out there, eventually I've got to take that guy out and find a replacement. He's just not getting it done, Right? But God doesn't do that with Ezekiel. And I think it's because God doesn't measure success and failure like we do. Right? He sees the whole thing differently. Success in God's eyes is not measured by how well people speak of you. Success in God's eyes is not measured by how many converts you bring into the kingdom. How could it? Those are things that are out of our control and power. Most of all, God desires us merely to be obedient. To just walk with Him and to do what He asks and to leave the rest to Him. And you know what? That is exactly what Ezekiel does. That's exactly what he does. And God just continues to put him in the game, so to speak. He continues to bring him a word for the people even though to us it appears like He's striking out. God has different metrics than we do. Oh, let this be an encouragement to you, Christian. Let this be an encouragement. We can even endure in failure knowing that God sees things differently. Right. The results are not ours. We can't own those. That's God's department. In fact, failure is very much baked into the cake of Christian faith as it is. The heart and soul of our faith is built around a person who failed. Or so it seems. Jesus Christ came into the world to save the world. But instead He died. The people who came The people he came to expected him to conquer his enemies, to cast them out, to reinstitute a national sovereignty and a strong nation. To be a leader in the world, righteous and holy people. Instead, they killed him. But that failure, air quotes for anyone who's not seeing me, was only a part of God's plan. In fact, that failure was. The very way that God had chosen for us to be saved. So much of our lives as followers of Jesus is just like that. At least in our time and place. Outwardly, it looks like failure. But in God's eyes, he is pleased. Pray this encourages you as you struggle. If you're like me. As you struggle and sometimes... You're looking around going, God, where is the fruit? This is so hard. I'm feeling like, maybe you're feeling like Adoniram Judson, right? God, where is the fruit? This is so hard. Just send someone else, Lord. Let someone else do it. So much of our lives, I think, is like that. And now, for our last point, okay? So we've looked at enduring in failure, but we also must endure in success, okay? Okay? if we are to pass the faith on to the next generation. And I would actually say that as many people that or as many people that fall away from God because of some kind of failure, perhaps just as many fall away because of success. Wealth, riches, worldly success, fame, fortune, even success in ministry ruin some people's souls. And actually draw them away from God. Lastly, let's look at verse 21, and we'll gonna see what I'm trying to bring out here. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been struck down. This is the hinge of the whole book, as I've already said. For for years Ezekiel's been preaching that Jerusalem is gonna fall, and finally it does. Here in this moment. It actually fell a few months earlier, but they're just now getting word about it. If you and I are Ezekiel, what is probably the first thing you do? You're probably running through the streets. I told you so. I told you so. <laughs> well, maybe maybe that's just me. I didn't get a lot of laughs. That was supposed to be a joke there, okay, guys? So there we go. We run through the streets saying, I told you so, right? We go out and we get the t shirt. We graffiti it all over the walls, you know. I told you, guys. I'm speaking for God here. In short, we boast about it, right? That's probably what you and I do. Especially after losing our spouse, going through all sorts of difficulties and having to do all these bizarre uh, street theater kind of preaching uh, series. That's probably what you and I do if we're honest. We run through the streets, pounding our chest, You know, I was right. But we get no impression here that Ezekiel does anything of the kind. He just keeps plodding along, doing his work, and he lets the Lord fight for him. Because Ezekiel realizes what you and I should realize. That our success, our victory, if you will, is only ours because of what God has done for us. Ezekiel didn't call himself to be a prophet. Ezekiel didn't have the powers of telling the future. He wasn't the one coming up with these ideas or visions. Ezekiel wasn't ultimately right. God was. God was the one leading in all of these things. God was the one revealing and doing and helping. Ezekiel had nothing to boast But God alone. And so it is with you and me. It is only in Jesus Christ. That you and I have the victory. Over sin and death. It is only in Jesus Christ. That you and I will do anything. In this life of eternal consequence. Not in our own strength. And might. And willing. And doing. Only in. His. This is the true path of endurance. It is the path of complete reliance upon the grace of God. The only way to endure in telling the truth, the only way to endure in being ridiculed, the only way to endure in failure and in success is to depend upon the Lord Jesus in all things and to keep your eyes fixed there. Right. This is what the writer of the book of Hebrews says. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Right. Let's keep our eyes on him and we will find that endurance that we so desperately need in difficult times. Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. This is the word of God for you today. Let's pray together. Lord, we um, are just thankful for these truths. We are thankful for these reminders, Lord, no doubt. Um, Many uh, within earshot understand these things, know these things. But oh, how we need fresh reminders. And Lord, we marvel as we... Read your word, and as we look upon the life of our Lord Jesus, think about that season in the wilderness where he was tempted and tried by the devil. When we look at his life after that, being mocked, ridiculed, and uh, God, even the success that Christ had in his ministry, which ultimately uh, culminated in the cross, which... Looked like failure, but in all of these places, in success and in failure and in ridicule and in all of these things, Jesus was perfectly faithful. And he was faithful for us, not just to model, but so that in him we might stand in that perfect record and stand before you blameless by faith in him. Not faith in our own works or our own perfection or our own endurance, but in his We marvel, Lord. We thank you that you came for us and that you will sustain us as we face whatever trial comes. And we can truly sing as we will in this next song. It is well with my soul. Whatever comes, you will be with us in Jesus' name.